listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number five zero five. Hello and welcome back to the Outdoor Station on another wet and miserable December evening in 2019. The Outdoor Station has been producing podcasts for the self-powered traveller. That's the backpacker, the hiker, the adventure seeker since 2005, making it the longest-running podcast of its type in the world. I'm Bob Cartwright, your host, and you can find the back catalogue of more than 500 podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, and now on your smart speaker. Hey, Alexa. Play the Outdoors Station podcast by Bob Cartwright. Here's the Outdoors Station from TuneIn, resuming number 504, Alice Bowers. Fame at last. And now you know the first thing to ask for when you open your smart speaker Christmas present this year. Once again, I want to thank everyone who has joined the newsletter this month over on theoutdoorstation.co.uk. And this includes Alan Redfern, Mark Wayne, Jasper Wynne from Ireland. Jasper is a name you may recognise. Look him up on theoutdoorstation.co.uk search box. I've done four interviews with him. Uh, Fascinating guy, lots of interesting stories. And I'd love to catch up with him once more, if I could just pin him down. Uh, Philip Brandt, Henrik Lindstrom from Sweden... Paul Boone, Roger Marshall, Alan Chapman, Alex Cadigan, Gary McFarlane, Joseph Arsenault from the USA, and Kevin Ball. And several of you have put some lovely comments in there as well, so many thanks for that. In this podcast, I'm talking with Tim Moss from thenextchallenge.org. Tim has organised expeditions to all seven continents, made first British ascents of several mountains from Russia to Bolivia, and has travelled around the world using 80 methods of transport, a trip for which he won the Year of the Volunteer Award for Innovation. He's a fellow of the Royal Geographic Society, a Guinness World Record breaker, and was shortlisted as an Adventurer of the Year. So you may recognise his name from many of his expeditions and adventures, and you'll see them in great detail over on his website. When you visit the site and have a look around, the first thing you'll notice is his transparency. Tim has painstakingly broken down the financials of every trip he's done. And this includes the costs and any support he's had from sponsorship and grants, plus, of course, if he's raised money for charity. He's also shared his account and been quite open discussing if it's possible to make a living as an adventurer in its many forms. However, the most obvious and, as far as I know, unique addition to his website is his grant system. Tim and the nextchallenge.org is doing the ultimate in paying it forward in the adventure world and supporting people who need a little financial help undertaking their first adventure. And this is how it all began. I think adventure first began for me at a very specific point when I was at university and I saw a poster advertising grants for expeditions and I didn't know anything about travel and adventure at the time but somehow uh, between a friend and I we concocted a plan to uh, go climb some new mountains in Kyrgyzstan 
and we were amazed to succeed in our application. We got some money. We went to Kyrgyzstan and we tried to climb some mountains and it really opened my eyes to what was out there in the world. And since that one trip, I've never really looked back. Was it, going back to that time, was that an organised expedition where you sort of tagged on to and then spurred off to do your own thing or you literally left to your own devices? It was absolutely on our own devices. There ended up being three of us. Uh, uh, I'd never heard of Kyrgyzstan. Uh, I didn't know where it was when we first came up with the idea, stumbled across it on an atlas or how we first found it. And we uh, organized a lot of the logistics ourselves, found a jeep to take us out into the mountains, uh, carried a load of food in our rucksacks. We did go to an established base camp, but then we were climbing mountains for which there were no proper maps, no guidebooks, and some of them had either, either been unclimbed or only climbed a handful of times. So you were really just looking at the side of a hill and trying to work out how you get to the top of it. And can you give me an idea of what, what year this was? This was 2003, so I would have been 21, first year uh, after after my first year of university. So uh, having never left Europe before, never really been on holiday without my parents, this was straight in the deep end. As it happened, it was it was it was it was too deep. We got into no one no one came to any harm, but we got into lots of scary situations that I'd never want to be in again, dangling off ropes and falling down snow slopes and and all that sort of thing. Um, but the subsequent year, I did a similar climbing trip to Bolivia, which was just as exciting, but without all the, those hair-raising moments. I, I take it you'd done, obviously, rope training and that sort of climbing at, at university before you went? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I've, done, I've been climbing for a number of years. I've done winter skills course, done plenty of time in the, in the mountains uh, and been to the Alps as in preparation for it. So we weren't completely stupid, but... We were, pro- we were pushing it a little bit and probably were a bit lucky that we didn't get into come to any harm. And I suppose th- two good things came out of it. One is that it, despite all the, the scary moments, it got me enthused about adventure. And two, I didn't come away thinking this is how I can do adventures and I'll probably be lucky every time. I came away thinking I don't want to be in, in that sort of risk again. So next time I do a trip, I'm going to be better prepared and um, more experienced, which is exactly what happened on my next two climbing trips, much more successful and, and much less scary. It reminds me of that old saying, what do you get when you don't get what you want? Experience. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on then. So, so these other trips, uh, are we talking on the same basis, sort of very low budget that you went on to after this, Bolivia and so on? Yes. Yep. I mean, the, the mountaineering trips of all the ones I've done, they're slightly more expensive because they tend to involve flying to South America or Central Asia. They're not super cheap, but at the same time, um, they're not silly expensive. It might have been sort of a month out in the mountains, including all food, transport, visas and everything for sort of around the thousand pound mark. So not not rock bottom prices, but probably not more than a lot of people spend on a week or two's holiday. And then you you went on a lovely title around the world in eighty ways. That's right. Yep, yeah, that was the my final year at university. The prior two years, I was really lucky to be given grants for these climbing expeditions. I should say the grants they weren't huge; they were a few hundred pounds. So the first one, I think we got four hundred pounds each, which was very welcome. But it didn't even cover the flight, so it wasn't all expenses paid. The main thing was. Um, sort of a pat on the back and a thumbs up saying we like your idea and that's kind of what I tried to do with my grant which we might get onto later. Um, so 
I'd done those two trips and I was really keen to do another expedition in my final year. But I thought um, three three times in a row applying to climb mountains, they might get a bit bored. So my friend uh, Tom and I, who came on my trip to Kyrgyzstan, he we came up with this idea to travel, uh, circumnavigate the globe using as many different methods of transport as possible. And we tried broadly to use each one only once. So only one flight and only one proper train and that sort of thing. Well, that's, that's a, that'll be an interesting subject. Now, um, for people that want to know more, obviously, everything that we're talking about is in great detail on your website, including uh, the background stories to these adventures. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely, yeah. The website's been going for, for 10 years. It started after some of those trips but i've documented them there so there's reports and blog posts photos and videos for most of the adventures i've been on right for all the people listening to this then uh, we will be referring back to the website uh, many times during this conversation as it unfolds and you'll realize why so as i say when uh, when we do that um i've mentioned the website already in the introduction uh, but do have a look at that as we as we go through or after this because i think you'll find it fascinating on all sorts of levels now coming back to these adventures and trips that you were doing i've looked I've got the list, the spreadsheet that you've broken down that you print on your website in front of me. How did you raise the funds? I know you had sort of uh, a, a few grants along the way, but how did you raise the funds to do this as a, as a student? Yeah, I did do a few part-time jobs. The, the truth is, because as I mentioned earlier, I didn't get into expeditions until I started university after the gap year where most, of pe- most people would probably be traveling the world. I had spent my year doing very boring work at home, um, living with my parents and just working most of the year. So I saved up lots of money there. And that's what was used to fund most of those three trips across my time at university. So just to give people again a bit more background, uh, when you finished university then, how did you balance stroke, fund, stroke, start a career uh, and manage to do everything at the same time? Well, finished university i did a master's course and then i planned to do a phd the there was a, the timing meant there was a sort of six month gap between graduating from my msc and applying for a doctorate so i was looking around for jobs and i found one working for the british schools exploring society who now just called british exploring or working um in expeditions organizing trips to the arctic and the himalaya and the uh, amazon jungle so i thought i would do that for a few months until i started my phd but um three years later i was still working in the royal geographical society organizing expeditions for a living so that sort of i mean i was surrounded by people who were really interesting and doing fantastic expeditions all the time really inspiring it meant i could sort of piggyback onto trips so I might fly out and help set up an expedition in Svalbard in the Arctic or up at the top of Norway. And then I could, instead of coming home, I'd take a week at the end of it and do my own trip so I could piggyback on and that would save money. And then I was also exposed to all the different grants that were out there for young people because I was young at the time. Um, and that meant I could, again, get these little little checks, usually just £100, £200 here and there, which would go a long way towards a trip when you keep it to a stricter low budget as I tried to. It sounds like the perfect job for somebody at that age who's footloose and fancy free and, and got a, a lust for, for adventure. 
absolutely it was it was it was just brilliant i mean the the work itself was was good i felt like i could use skills that i learned from organizing expeditions I had a little understanding of what's involved with planning a big trip of that sort of scale worked with really good interesting people on fascinating topics and and just constantly being surrounded by these expedition leaders who've spent lots of their lives traveling all around the world and doing great trips it was it was hard not to be inspired on a daily basis yeah i'm not surprised i'm not surprised so when you you, you finished the that particular position then did you go straight into into a career you're an accountant i understand is that right that's right yeah yeah so there's a there's a there's a couple of hurdles on the way to going from an adventurer to an to accountant but um when i finished at british British exploring, it was because I wanted to work freelance and uh, help people directly. So rather than working for an organization where I was part of a team organizing a a big organized trip, I went, decided to be sort of self-employed and advertise my services to people who wanted to do um, an expedition that wasn't available off the shelf. So if someone emailed me and said they wanted to climb Kilimanjaro or Mount Everest or something like that, I'd say, great, here are some companies that do that for you. But if someone wanted to row across the Pacific Ocean or do cross a desert on foot, things that you can't just pay somebody to do, that's what I would offer my services to help with. And that was the idea, at least when I started. And was that successful? Was it? Were you busy doing that? In many ways, it was successful. And I had a great few years. I grew my blog exponentially, um, wrote a book that got published and Ralph Fiennes wrote a foreword for it. I got bafflingly got invited to meet the Queen and spoke at St. James's Palace and met Prince Philip. I set a Guinness World Record um, and did lots of great expeditions and wrote lots of magazines. And so that, if you've, that sounds almost like bragging, like I did all these fantastic things. The flip side was it really didn't make very much money. Um, I think for two reasons. First one is that um, as we've alluded to in our earlier discussion, most people doing these expeditions don't have lots of money. Um, they're usually scrambling around. And I get for every email I got saying they wanted to pay me to do something, I'd get 100 saying, can I help them with sponsorship? So there's that, there's, there's that issue. There's a sort of limited customer base. And, and the second one probably was that I'm just really not very motivated by money and sort of business acumen wasn't there at all. Um, so when I was presented with a, two choices, but one that would pay but wasn't that interesting and one that wouldn't pay but seemed really worthwhile and something I wanted to pursue, I'd always be taking the latter, which um, is fine for a hobby but not great for someone that's self-employed. Yeah, I've got a lot of empathy with you. I've had a very freelance life myself and and life can be tough. And a lot of people assume from the outside that, that you're really raking it in, when, especially when you're doing... Uh, associated with people doing exotic trips or or things which sound extremely adventurous but the the facts of the matter can sometimes be it's very hard to keep the the wolf from the door isn't it yeah and in fact for that reason i've got two articles on my website that i've published one it details the costs of all of my expeditions and where the funds have come from and how much has come from sponsorship and anyone who looks at that article will see that the sponsorship column is always got a big zero in it because no one's ever sponsored me um i used to get grants when i was young but don't get them anymore um and to, and also to, to illustrate how how cheap the trips are um and the, the second article i published was all of my earnings whilst I was a full-time adventurer, how much I earned each year and from what source, how much from speaking, 
um, how much from writing articles, how much from adverts on my website. And you'll, I got a lot of praise for being honest and publishing those figures, but that's probably because they were so pitiful. I don't think in any year, with one exception where I had a, a client I worked for long term, I don't think I made more than uh, £6,000 in any given year. And usually it was a few hundred pounds. So um, the... <laughs> naturally on social media you present the your, your sort of your, your best self and show all the interesting things you do because that's what people understand we want to read about but it does give the impression that um everything's easy going and you're, you're living the right life of riley whereas in truth i've I really i very rarely made any money from adventure at all you've got a lovely article uh, actually on your your blogging uh, which reads exceedingly well about well there's a two actually there's one where you say that if you're aimed to motivate stop exaggerating and the other one was something along the lines of, you know, is it tough? Are you making it sound much tougher than it really is? Uh, and you sort of tried to toe a line, really, between being realistic and honest without making it too boring. Would that be a reasonable description? Yeah, that would that would be spot on. When I started the, the website, I wrote everything either in the third person or um, kept making it sound as if I had a team of people. We do this. We'll help you with that. And Tim did this amazing expedition that was really tough and death defying because I wanted, I felt, you know, I guess I was insecure in myself and wanted to, to make myself and websites sound impressive. Whereas over time, I've realized that firstly, lots of people can see through that. So you just sound daft anyway. Um, and secondly, as that title of that article, if you aim to motivate and stop exaggerating, that uh, as that it suggests, the whole point of doing my website, particularly over time, is it evolved is to try and help and encourage other people to get into expeditions and sometimes you do that with tales of daring do and uh, lots of excitement and um, you know exciting videos and things like that but at the same time if you exaggerate and make things sound really tough and scary and death-defying and like you're an expert and people shouldn't try this themselves well then of course that's not motivating that's demotivating it's off-putting it makes people think crikey, you know, I, I wouldn't want to suffer that much or I'm not that tough or I haven't got all those skills. I could never do an adventure. So now I try and take the sort of the opposite tact and I'm honest about things. I say exactly how much they cost. If something's required some expertise, like the climbing trips, I would say, yeah, don't, don't be daft. You need to train before you do that. Whereas other things I've done, um, the, the long runs and even the, the desert trip crossing that I did, they don't require sort of the same expertise and, and things like that so i've tried to specifically choose trips to demonstrate that you can do things cheaply or you can do things when you're not super fit or you can do things when you've not got a lot of time away from work and just to demonstrate that adventure should be available to everybody if they want it certainly another article you've written as well which actually echoes a, a trend that does seem to be getting more and more prevalent at the moment on social media and it's that one where well, expeditions are no better than offices is your title, which actually reads exceedingly well. But basically, you're quite right. It says sometimes it sounds really patronising to suggest to people they should be out of their offices doing something super exciting, dangerous, stroke, adventurous, whatever. Uh, but in actual fact, you know, a lot of people really enjoy their life or they enjoy their work or they enjoy the contribution to society they're making. And it does sound... The tone sometimes sounds a little bit patronising from people that appear to be giving that life of an outdoor lifestyle, adventure, etc., suggesting that everybody should be doing that. And I agree with you. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure I was guilty of that when I started my blog. And no doubt, if you read my earlier posts, there's, there's plenty that are patronising and presumptuous. 
but I realized um, over time and seeing lots of other people's blogs and things that, yeah, exactly that. They would say, don't waste your life, quit your job, travel the world. And some people who want to travel the world and are just desperate least nervous about quitting the job that's a great message and say look i've done it it was fine lots of people have you'll probably be okay here's some advice but at the same time there's for every one of those people there's probably 10 or 50 or 100 who are perfectly happy with their with their lives enjoy what they're doing um and might want to do adventures in their holidays or maybe a short career break but they don't want to pack everything in and there's sort of that exactly that assumption that everyone is hates their job and everyone wants to be like you because you're a cool adventurer yeah that's it's it's when you when you when you when you unpack it it's a bit unpleasant and it's again it's not motivating so try my best to avoid that podcasting around the world it's all about getting out and having much more fun this is the outdoor station now, coming on to the website again and the the purpose of this conversation, I, I don't know how I actually found you. I was trying to think about it the other day. I think it was about three or four months ago. I sort of stumbled across you during Hunt Round, various bits of social media of people associated with people that I'd love to talk to. And I, I was fascinated to read the background behind the, the website, some of the things we've talked about, but also how you've taken it forward. And, and you're really paying, paying it forward, paying this enthusiasm and, and excitement and support for people that are that are starting out at any age really to do something a little bit alternative a little bit different without risking too much and i think it's a lovely approach uh, the website i have mentioned it before but it's called the nextchallenge.org and would you just like to describe in your own words how it came to you that you could offer this support to other people doing their own challenges yeah well i, I think we over this conversation and the, you know, that bit you just did there you've sort of given a bit of the arc in that i started out by applying to other people to get money from them and they would give me money and i go off on a trip then sort of when i got a bit more into it i didn't need or wasn't eligible for those grants so i would fund stuff myself just keep it tr- cheap and then i would try to offer stories and advice and help people with by email and give out tips and practical guides on how to do expeditions but with no money changing hands and now it's got to a point where I've got a day job that pays the bills. So anything I get through my website is a bonus. And uh, like I said, I don't make huge sums from my website, but I have an advert on a little Google ad on a couple of pages. And that was making £200 a year. And I thought, well, you know what, I could, I can pay my bills without that. Why don't I give that £200 away as a grant to somebody else to do an adventure? And so that's what I did. I then invited 100 members of the public to donate £2 each, sort of crowdfunding, but deliberately wanted to keep it for small amounts. I didn't want to take money from one person and give it to another. It was sort of £2. You wouldn't even think about it, a cup of coffee or a a half a pint. So then we had £400. And then lots of other adventurers with blogs, they all said they'd chip in £100 or £200 each. And before we'd finished, we had over £1,000, which I said apply to me, give, send in your ideas and I'll give the money to sort of the best idea. And what, what, I've, what happened that year and has happened every year since I've been running it is that we had hundreds of applications and I, rather than giving one person a thousand pounds to go and do a big trip, I quite like helping the, the smaller scale trips that aren't costing thousands of pounds, sometimes more like hundreds, generally people who've not done 
big trips before or a bit nervous or wouldn't normally apply for this sort of thing, I give them £100, £200, £300, and they go off and do their trips. And the only thing they I ask for them in return is that they send me a, a blog post and some photographs so I can share it on my blog and hopefully inspire somebody else to come back next year and apply for a grant. Well, looking at the list that you've printed, uh, as I say, quite openly on your website, along with the amounts that they were actually sponsored by, going back to 2015, I'm scrolling up the screen now, but I'm sure you know off the top of your head what the total number is. Yeah, it, it's 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 over 60 different people now. Um, it's, the, it's run for five years and about to go into the sixth year. And we help sort of between maybe eight and 15 in any given year. Um, and I can say it because they're nothing to do with me. They're just they're just amazing. Every year, it's a real it's such a privilege to read all these different uh, fantastic ideas from people all around the world. It's not a British thing. Um, you can apply from anywhere and all ages. We've had kids, uh, we had teenagers doing it, and we've I had a five year old with his mum. It was a mum who applied, but his mum took his her five year old to five bothies, um, and we've had older people. I think there's someone in their sixties. Um, in the last year's grant, who's trekking around Scotland with a pony? So you get a get a whole range of people. I was just looking at the names. I've recognised obviously a few Abbey Barnes who I spoke to uh, a couple of weeks ago. Elise Downing, uh, she obviously ran the coast of uh, of Great Britain, and a few other names there that I recognise. But as you say, many many non familiar names, and certainly quite a few overseas ones. I'm I'm surprised you've had so many people from overseas contact you. Have you spread the word deliberately as uh, across the channel into Europe and further? I haven't done. Again, this is something that if I had more more time available to me, I, I would be sort of shouting from the rafters and banging the drum a bit more. But um, just fitting fitting everything around the day job just means that I can I can promote the grant a little bit and administer it and read the applications and send the money to everybody and upload their blog posts. But in terms of promotion. Um, no, I don't. I don't do a lot. Um, and in fact, this year, the, the, so far, the application numbers are down. So I need to any help with the help promoting it would, would be most welcome for anyone listening. Um, and indeed, just just submitting your applications because the the odds are very high um, given the number of awards I give and the number of people apply that apply. Um, but I've not made a particular effort to advertise it overseas i think just because it's online it's the internet people in any country can find it and all sorts of people do indeed stumble across it and apply well in that case then let's see what we can do right this very minute to give you a hand with applications or people to be interested in pursuing this and contacting you so give me the uh, the outline of the of the grant in your own words and obviously any time scales they have to apply by and that sort of thing uh, and then uh, let's spread the word via this podcast Thank you very much. The, so it's called the Next Challenge Grant. So if you just Google that, you will find it. And obviously, it's all available through my website. Applications are open to people of any age. Um, if you're under 18, then you just need your parents' permission. Um, any country, any nationality. You um, don't need any experience um, or technical expertise or skills unless you're doing something that's that's dangerous. So if you're doing a a small local adventure and you've never done anything like it before, then as long as it's not something that's dangerous, then that's that's more than fine. It's, it's better. I would rather fund people who are new to adventure than people who are professionals with websites and have done lots of trips before because I feel like they're going to be okay without me and they'll probably get funding from elsewhere. 
application is via a short online form, probably takes 10 minutes to do. Grants are typically one or 200 pounds, but are occasionally more. I think the most we've ever given is 800 pounds. Alternatively, if you're not into form filling and, and words aren't your thing, I know it's not for everybody, then you can submit an application by video. Just film yourself on your phone. Just, I'm not judging um, editorial quality. I just It's just so you can convey yourself in whichever way you find easiest. Um, deadline for applications, I think it's the first week of January. It's just after Christmas. Um, so you've still got about a month to apply. And like I said, it doesn't take very long at all. So there's no harm in sticking an application form in. And then I will make my decision usually uh, within a month or so, so around about February time. And again, on the website, you will see all the examples of the people that have won grants for the previous expeditions and the type of expeditions they are. And as uh, Tim quite rightly says, you, you know, they're not super technical. They're not super firsts. They are people, I guess, breaking out of their comfort zone and just trying something a little bit adventurous. Would that be a reasonable description, Tim? Yeah, absolutely. I think you'd certainly if you're thinking about applying, then the best thing to do is look at the previous winners to see the sorts of things that win. But as a few examples we've had, we have had big trips like people running between and up the UK's three highest peaks. Somebody ran across Kyrgyzstan and we've had people um, walking across parts of the Great Wall of China in winter. So you get these these huge, scary things. But you've also had much smaller, closer to home things uh, like somebody did a trip that was as simple as walking to work. He was tired of his commute, 25 mile drive each way. Uh, so he decided to walk it one day and walk back again. And he, he just got some sponsored boots. Um, I've had that, like as I mentioned, a, a mother and a five-year-old camping in five different bothies. Got a woman trekking around Scotland on a pony. Someone walked a bit of Japanese coastline and we get all sorts of different things. So um, do have a look at the list and um, if you've got an idea, stick in an application. You're very extensive as regards the information that you've got. There's also equipment. Now, do you, do you give people equipment or are you sponsored to give people equipment from companies or do you loan people equipment if they're, if they're struggling to, to obtain something for a particular trip? Very occasionally, I've got some sponsored equipment. I'm not sure if I've got any this year. The vast majority of it is just where I've been sent equipment to review or sponsored sleeping bag or bivy bag or something to test out or use on a trip the truth is that i've got a lot more camping stoves and bivy bags and camping mats than i will ever need in a lifetime um but i'm also loath to sort of throw anything away or put it in the charity shop so essentially it's it's my personal kit that i offer as a, as a loan to people because quite often it's expensive to kit yourself out for a trip and you don't always need to buy a brand new stove and a camping mat just for a singular trip to being able to loan it out saves everybody a bit of money and makes me feel less bad about hoarding so much um, equipment that our spare room looks like Cotswold Outdoors. Yeah, I know that feeling. I've got a loft and a lot of boxes. Uh, so, and also the other practical aspect is that they may use this equipment once for the trip and they may not necessarily need it again. So environmentally, it's actually quite a good thing to, to, to loan equipment and then return it once they finish the journey. Hopefully, yeah, cut, cutting down a bit of waste as well as saving people some money. That's that's the plan. 
Now, the other uh, sort of adventurers that support you uh, include Margaret Bowling, Anna McNuff, Alistair Humphreys, David Charles, the Cycle Touring Festival, and obviously, as you say, you approach the public as well. There are a few names there I recognise, obviously Anna McNuff and Alistair Humphreys, but David Charles and Margaret Bowling, who are they? Margaret is, she's a sort of adventurer in her own right, mostly through ocean rowing, um, I think is where she's done a lot of her trips. And she, I think she's a, makes films, maybe a camera woman. And also, I think she's provided logistical support for other people's trips. So I've known her through the adventure community for quite a while. And she's been one of the long term supporters over many years, which is, which is brilliant. But again, because I put them on my website, but really they don't get any credit or you know i'm not giving them anything in return they're just sending me a hundred pounds or 200 pounds every year and i give it to somebody else so all, all credit to them all those people that have supported it um david charles was just somebody that um got in touch with me as happens more and more through um as the grant's gone on people will say uh, like your grants i'd like to make a donation but it's it's more than two pounds is more than 10 pounds is there a better way to do it because if you do it straight to my website then paypal take a little fee whereas if you do it directly with me, then we can avoid you can avoid the fees. So he just got in touch um, and said he'd he'd like to make a donation, and that was last year, and he's st- stepping in again this year. Uh, he does have a website which I think is linked to on, on my blog, um, but you get a you get a mix of people who are sort of high profile adventurers and others who just like supporting adventure. And the cycle touring festival, I didn't know there was such a thing. Is that a, that a current festival? Yep. The, so the cycle touring festival is organised by my wife. Um, Laura Moss, and it is the it's the only sort of event of its kind for cycle touring, which is um, we define it as cycle, sleep, and repeat. So any kind of bike trip that lasts more than a day, that might be uh, cycling lands into John O'Groats or cycling around the world over a year, or it might just be uh, a long weekend going coast to coast or something like that. And it's a it's a sort of it's a very old traditional activity that's been around for a long time but it's been growing a bit in recent years and it's not often catered for in sort of mainstream cycling media which tends to be about racing bikes and mountain biking so this festival once a year in may it happens in Clitheroe in lancashire where it sells out every year sort of two to three hundred people and somewhere between a festival and a conference so it's two days of back-to-back talks and workshops about practical guides to cycling in Africa or best places to go in Europe or stories from people who've cycled the coast to coast or they've cycled in South Korea. Um, And it's just a great place to meet other like-minded people who are into cycle touring. And as part of that, it's a non-profit event, but if she has the surplus available, then she gives £200 to the grant every year. Fantastic. It sounds like the sort of festival I'd love to pop in and and, uh, have a chat with people. You're very welcome. Continuing the support question then, are you still looking for some more support from general people that uh, are listening to this that want to support your efforts? Absolutely, yeah. The, broadly, the donations are open for the same period that applications are, so you can donate between now and uh, start of January. If they come in later than that, then it's absolutely fine because um, the grants don't actually get made until February, March or beyond. So contributions are always welcome. If people have got kit they don't want, um, that's that's always welcome too. And failing that, it doesn't have to be with money. If you can uh, put it on your social media or tell a friend of who you think might be interested in applying, then that's that's just as helpful. Spreading the word is, is, is just as good. 
Well, I think anybody listening to this will agree that that's something they'll do because everybody's got their own little networks on social media. And I'm sure once people understand and uh, delve into it a bit more, we'll be more than happy to to share the information. And as I say, I, I stumbled across you myself, but I really want to get behind you and support you as best I can. Great. I appreciate that. And whereas when I used to do adventure stuff myself, I was really queasy about asking for promotion and trying to promote myself. It didn't, didn't feel nice or natural at all because this is doesn't benefit me it's just uh help to hopefully helping other people have adventures and i'm giving the money away i don't mind so much asking for help promoting it because it's it's, it's not about me it's about helping other people and all the people that you have supported have they all written blogs for you or donated some information in some way Yes, yeah. Well, they're supposed to all write blogs. I think pretty much everybody has. Sometimes you have to do a little bit more chasing than, you, than you'd like to. But that, yeah, that's the only thing I ask for. Once they're back, send me some words and some photographs uh, so we can share the story. So everyone who's given you money can see where it went and see what you got up to. And so on the website, there's probably 40 or 50 odd articles from from past winners. And in fact, that's one of the best bits about it is hearing these different voices because you you get plenty of sort of middle class white men from the UK like me who often were had until recent years had often perhaps dominated the adventure industry. But then you get voices of completely different people, different ages, different backgrounds, different nationalities, the kind of people who aren't normally writing blog posts and aren't normally writing articles and the style and the way they read are completely different from things I right and i used to spend ages trying to edit them into sort of fit with my blog and i thought what this that's defeating the point people want to hear the voices of those who won these grants so you'll you'll when you'll 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 read through them and you'll such different uh, approaches um, and styles of writing but that's part of the beauty of it looking at all these applications and the people that you supported do you or can you generalize what the biggest barrier is for people to actually undertaking an adventure of any kind I think if I was generalizing, I'd probably go with perhaps confidence in that it's a big it's a big step. If you've not done something like it before and your friends and your family don't all do these sorts of things on a daily basis, then it can feel strange or embarrassing or almost arrogant to say, I'm going to do this cycle trip or, you know, I'm going to run up this mountain. You, you be, I think I would have been worried. People thinking, well, who, who on earth are you to think you can do that sort of thing? So hopefully with the, the website and the grant, the idea is to say, yeah, even if they, people don't necessarily need all that money or the money's not really the sticking point, the fact that I can put them on a blog and say, look, this person from so-and-so has got this idea and I think it's great and I'm going to give them 200 pounds. It's kind of hopefully an endorsement for what it's worth. And also there's a little bit of pressure then people are like, oh, well, I've got to do it now. I just filled out that form three months ago and didn't think anything of it. Whereas now it's, 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 it's public, I'm committed. My thanks to Tim for taking the time to share his passion with us and what a wonderful and generous thing to do to encourage and support people undertaking their first adventure. Of course, you'll now make a point of visiting his website in all earnest, I'm sure, thenextchallenge.org. But more importantly, please discuss the concept with your family and friends this holiday break, who will no doubt at some stage say they want to do something exciting in their everyday life. This grant could be an opening to a whole new experience and make the difference between action and inaction. 
What have you got to lose? Check out the website, see what challenges past applicants have set themselves and be inspired to do something similar or tell your friends to do the same. As you heard, Tim is waiting to hear from you. So put down that 20th mince pie and start writing. Food for thoughts, folks. So until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear or see more from our extensive free library, please visit theoutdoorsstation.co.uk.